Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 138. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. The casino giveth, the casino <laughs> taketh away. Well, you know, this is um, this is the fun, I, is the word that they use when describing Disney Plus roulette. Um, sometimes you land on things that you wouldn't usually watch, and sometimes you land on things you've never seen in spite of your best efforts to avoid them. And so here we sit today, almost 140 films into Monoreal Radio's history, and we have finally had to review and discuss 1998's Meet the Deedles. Now, the way that I set this up, you would think that I had seen this film before, and that I would have some history with it where I didn't like it as a child. This was the first time I ever saw this movie. Which is kind of surprising because the biggest comp to this is Bill and Ted, right? Yeah. So you having grown up in that era, I feel like you would have at least seen this as a kid. I'd heard of it. I know the title, although maybe I'm wondering if that's really because it's a riff on Meet the Beatles where like you think you've heard of it. No, you've heard of it. I mean, here's the thing. So I did grow up on those movies, and I did watch Bill and Ted, and I watched Dumb and Dumber, and I'm going to use those as comps kind of later on. I don't want to, I mean, listen, the movie stinks. I mean, uh, my <laughs> my review is, I mean, you knew that before you listened, but I, I want to use them as comps later because I want to talk about the film first before I get into it, but like... This movie came out in 1998. I was a 12-year-old boy. So you would think that You're like right there. I'm right in the target demographic and even as a 12-year-old, I remember thinking this just looks dumb and I had no interest in seeing it because I remember they kind of put a lot into this release. Um I remember seeing just a ton of trailers. I saw the poster everywhere like you knew at least I can speak for myself, you knew what Meet the Deedles was. Right, no, the poster is totally familiar where they're wearing those Smurf blue wave, wave hats. Yeah. So I definitely recognize that, but I guess I thought there was more to it that I just didn't understand as a 12, 13-year-old girl. I thought maybe this is something that the guys were into. I thought maybe it was like a book that had been adapted or something. I just thought that there was so much more to it than Disney jumping on the Bill and Ted bandwagon. $4 million it made on, uh, at the box office off of a $24 million budget. That's awfully generous. It's, yeah. <laughs> Four. Four million wasted dollars. All right. I think we're just about ready to get into this here. This pitiful review is sponsored <laughs> by the <laughs> I mean, listen, folks, it's it's true. It's just what it is. Okay. I mean, what did you expect? All right. Come on. Let's let's try. Let's My try. Apologies hard. to Taylor and Heather. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio get a 10% discount with the code Monoreal10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co. and shop for all of your straw charm needs. That discount code is the best thing you're gonna hear in this plot. <laughs> Stu and Phil Deedle are high school seniors who are expelled from 
from missing school on their birthday to go parasailing, so their father sends them to a camp in Wyoming, which is meant to teach them responsibility. They arrive to find out that the camp has been shut down, and through a comedy of absurd errors, get confused with new park ranger recruits at Yellowstone Park, which is currently overrun with prairie dogs the week that Old Faithful is celebrating its billionth birthday. Turns out that former ranger Slater is jealous that Captain Pine took his place at Yellowstone and has unleashed the prairie dogs to ruin the festivities. While Stu tries to fix the situation, Phil tries to impress Captain Ryan, his superior, who is also Captain Pine's stepdaughter. Eventually, the real recruits arrive and the Deedles are exposed and thrown out of their program for five whole minutes until they rescue Captain Pine, who was drowning after he fell out of a helicopter, so he tells them that they're going to graduate and get their badges the following day. Slater, meanwhile, finds Stu's prairie dog plan on his computer and prints it out so he can work around it, planting explosives that seemingly seal off Old Faithful, causing the Deedles to be thrown out of the program again. The Deedles stumble across Slater and his men and learn of his plan to divert Old uh, Old Faithful's geyser and relocating it into his own geyser, which is in a basically a dead shaft, where he can develop a new tourist attraction and therefore put an end to Yellowstone's popularity. The Deedles close the relief uh, valves on the tank that Slater hooked up to Old Faithful, and it causes it to explode and end Slater's plan. The Deedles' innovation leads to the development of Deedlestone, a surfing destination at Yellowstone. Okay, um, this is going to be short. Um, <laughs> all right. I, I, okay, from the jump, this is the dumbest setup of all time. I, I mean, I kind of understand. Here's the thing. I, this movie sucks. It is just horrible. There is no two ways about it. I understand why Disney... At the time, when they really did struggle with an identity crisis, where they tried to do this Bill and Ted and Dumb and Dumber-esque film, here was the problem. Bill and Ted was the late 80s and early 90s. Dumb and Dumber was 1994. In typical fashion, they tried to jump on a trend that was five years outdated. So... I, I get why they made the film. I understand I understand they had to set it up somewhere, but I felt the setup for the just the whole purpose of the film of they get kidnapped on their birthday by their friends to go parasailing. School security just happens to be on a jet ski with binoculars and finds them. So they get expelled and their father sends them to this weird military-esque camp in Wyoming. It's and- the school police, by the way. The school police have a jet ski. Think about that first. Think about the sentence that you just said. Well, that's why I thought it was worth worth noting that there's a school police. Now, well, their father sends them away because he tells them that they are the heirs to the Deedle Empire. And he wants them to learn responsibility. I okay. can buy that. Totally. Here's the problem. We never ever find out what the Deedle Empire is. We, right. we never find out what exactly it is they're taking over. All we know is that they live in a mansion in Oahu 
and they're very, very rich, and they're taking over their father's company, which does what? We have no idea. And that's a problem. Because you basically do lose, you have a setup, but you have very little motivation because you don't know, you know, the thing is, uh, let's talk about for a second only because I'm thinking about surf movies and, and it's a, it's a, it's a really bad movie, Teen Beach 2. I want to go to Teen Beach 2 for a second. At least in that film, you know that Brady wants to go to college because he wants to innovate these boards, whereas Mac wants to have a more stable career, and, and she's more serious about school. All you needed was something like that. Perhaps the Deedle boys, they, maybe their dream was to always set up a surf resort and it pays off at the end. Perhaps they wanted to design boards. Perhaps they wanted to you know, design wetsuits, and their father was an investment banker or, I don't know, he owned a manufacturing, something. Like, you, just, you never find out what it is, so the movie... The movie from the jump has no motivation. You're right, especially because we soon after learn that the dad is going to be sending them to one of his old army buddies in Wyoming. So you get a little bit of his backstory there, but not enough to really develop these characters and establish why there's a fractured relationship here. Not even fractured, but... What they did do successfully was set up that 90s archetype of parents just don't understand and the dad wants them to make something of themselves and they're just not ready to grow up yet. So fleshing that out, I'm not going to say would have done wonders for this story because there's not a lot that's going to save it here, but it would have given it at least a little bit more development. I'm glad that you bring up Teen Beach because I feel like, I, I mean, of course that was going to come up with us, right? Um, the way that this starts off where we see the mansion and we see these two seemingly popular kids get kidnapped for their birthday, I actually thought that was a cool jumping off point. And I thought this was setting up more of a high school movie comedy, like what Teen Beach would be if it wasn't a sugar-coated decom. Okay, yeah. So I was actually very excited for that. What I really wasn't expecting was it to take, because I didn't read the plot. I read nothing. I had absolutely no information going in. I was not expecting it to take this fish out of water turn. And what really struck me is because you kind of know going in with Bill and Ted like you said it's an 80s to 90s movie but there there's time travel involved like you know that it's not going to be very serious same with Dumb and Dumber from the title alone what I really wasn't expecting was you know you're trying to juxtapose the surfer guys against Wyoming and this you know naturalistic survivalist lifestyle Stick with me here because you're not going to like this. Okay. I feel like what they were also trying to pull from is My Cousin Vinny. And no film is going to do the fish out of water better than My Cousin Vinny ever has. But when you're talking about taking such a strong archetype of a character and placing them completely out of their element, I feel like that's what they were trying to do here. And they failed miserably. We know this. But... That mashup with Bill and Ted is where this really all just falls apart. The problem where this just falls apart is that these two characters, they're too stupid to have even lived this long in their mansion sheltered life. Here's the thing. with Okay, so I was, I was going to wait until later, but I'm just going to do this now. With Bill and Ted, 
and with Dumb and Dumber, you have obviously dimwit lead characters. The lovable screw-ups. The lovable screw-ups, which is what they tried to do here with the Deedles. Bingo. Tried being tried the operative word. These two are not endearing at all. That's 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 part of the that's that's one of the problems. The other problem I want to talk about Dumb and Dumber specifically. In Dumb and Dumber, you've got two you've got Harry and Floyd. Yeah. They're screw-ups, but you still love them because there's just something about them that I, you can kind of relate to because there's it's a buddy comedy. We all have that one friend who we just get stupid with, right? I mean, let's just call it what it is. We all have it. But what Dumb and Dumber does very well is it weaves a complete story. You have a very clear beginning, a very clear middle, and a very clear end woven in there because all they're trying to do is get Mary her briefcase back. But what's woven in is this attempt at taking their lives by these gangster types and how they continually foil these guys sort of unintentionally, and it's very funny. But the other thing that Dumb and Dumber does is if you really break down Dumb and Dumber, it addresses friendship, it addresses love, it addresses greed, it addresses jealousy. It addresses a lot of the human condition. If you really look at that script. I mean, think about a film, and I'm going to jump a little bit further. Based on its based on its title alone and on the very like short description of the premise. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle should be one of the stupidest stupidest movies of all time. It's brilliant. It's a great it is one of the most complete movies you're ever going to see. Like script-wise alone though, the story structure, it's brilliant. Simple concept, but they turn everything on its head. It's great. And it's it, but it's perfect. Yeah. E- even something like The Hangover is so absurd. The premise of this is so absurd, but it's well written. The characters are great. It keeps you guessing, and it's a lot of fun. This movie, they try to do the same thing that they did with Dumb and Dumber, but you literally missed every element that made Dumb and Dumber a timeless movie. Well, here's the other thing, though. The comedy of Dumb and Dumber comes from the fact that they think that they're the smartest people in the world. Right. And everything that they do, they do wholeheartedly because they really believe that they're trying to do the right thing. Right. Here, the characters are self-aware. They know they're slackers. They don't want to be anything other than what they are. And that's where they try to set up the lovable screw-up. But Phil and Stu just come off as annoying because... They never want to try. They're not giving us a reason to root for them. And, you know, when when we meet them and they're they're on the um, the parasail on yeah. their friend's boat. Yeah. You know, they're throwing out all of these catchphrases that are supposed to be funny. I didn't find them funny. I found them annoying. And that's where they lose me from the jump, because I don't believe they're ever going to want to do anything better. Again, you know, it it tries because Phil's motivation becomes the girl, but 
okay, the hot guy gets the girl, whatever. Like, there's no... It's, it's weak, though. We've seen it a hundred times. Yeah, there's no big arc there. I mean, really, it's Paul Walker. Did we not think he was going to get the girl? Come on, people. Um, and with Stu, we see him trying to solve the problem that they're having at Yellowstone, which eventually we're going to get there. And he's genuinely trying. But where did all of this scientific knowledge come from you're supposed yes. to be the slacker not that that comes out of nowhere and makes no sense yeah and i'm i'm jumping ahead here so we we will get there but um it's just talking about their story arcs this is where the setup never pays off correct you know what let's even talk about another movie that i think came out i think it came out the same year if it wasn't the same year it was the year prior can't hardly wait now, oh, that's, one. that's a little bit more of a grown-up film because it's still targeted at, like, 16- and 17-year-olds. That's more of a coming-of-age film. But, similarly, you have every archetype of the 90s that you've seen in every film, and you flip it on its head. And you put these characters in positions where they are not in their social circle anymore. They're not in their safe zone. They are now having to branch out and, and deal with issues and talk to people who, by and large, they wouldn't really deal with anymore, right? And, I mean, you, you've even seen it, like, with Say Anything did the same thing. There was or The so, Breakfast Club. So many. That, yes, but that's more dramatic, and so is Say Anything. I'm thinking something that's a little bit more comedy-driven. But I'm talking about just... The, the premise, in, you're saying. As far as taking these archetypes and forcing them together, and then they have to learn from each other. Right. And I feel like where this movie falls apart is putting them in Yellowstone. If they would have stayed... So, so the idea that this guy flowers their father's old non-buddy, he loses his camp due to lawsuits, camp broken spirit... Camp BS. Okay, that's funny. It is funny. Let's also, I'm not, I want to, <laughs> I, I don't want to overlook the fact that the father literally hangs up the phone finding out his kids have been expelled and immediately pulls out airline tickets to Wyoming s for the next day. See, I'll buy that because it shows that he never believed in them in the first place. It's like he had this ready to go. Yeah, but for the for that exact day, for that exact day... No, that I don't buy, but I, I believe that Flowers was in his back pocket. I think Flowers was in his back pocket. We find out Flowers loses the camp, and he said, I don't need a camp for what I'm about to teach you. The basic survival skills. Food, shelter, clothing. Which is I, I, also you know not true. Water. But yeah, and but fire. You can, you can be naked for a little while. You need fire and water. I think, though, we would have had a better film watching them on a survival mission Agreed. with flowers. Agreed. Putting them in Yellowstone with this prairie dog thing and, and, and Slater wanting to build his own amusement park, it doesn't make any sense. I would have rather seen them have to rough it out and learn with flowers i think that would have made for a much better film and i think it would have pushed them out of their comfort zone even further where they would have to fend for themselves well they did do that and i can't believe i'm about to bring this one up that's kind of like bushwhacked and i'm looking it up now that actually came out in 1995 so it it did predate this mm -hmm. bushwhacked if you've never seen it is daniel stern out in the wilderness with a bunch of kids yeah sort of not that sounds that sounds bad. <laughs> um, but it's what it is. <laughs> he's he's posing as a scout leader on a camping trip. This this sounds worse. 
<laughs> go watch it. He was, an not... es- he was an escape criminal, wasn't he? Yes, and, and he's taking kids on a camping trip and teaching them how to survive. Well, they did the same thing in it's Camp almost, Nowhere. Or like like Mighty Ducks or something where you have, yeah, the screw up. He's got to teach a bunch of kids. But what what did we just talk about? Movies that came out between 1992 <laughs> and 1995. Now this comes out in 98. Yeah, you're late to the party, Deedles. Um, Which okay. I guess is on brand for them because yeah. they're slackers. Yeah. I want to um, just circle back to the to the airport scene because okay. this is something that I actually found funny before Flowers comes and picks them up. They have this trunk that they're traveling with and they decide that they're going to take a hula break at the airport. <laughs> they do. And they make these, what I have to assume because they're, this is their 18th birthday, are virgin cocktails in a coconut. Yeah. And they call them hulas. That I actually thought was funny. And and this was right before the, the movie just completely lost me. Because I thought this was going to be like an ongoing bit where they did this at random. I also don't... It's It's just funny that like, okay... That is something that you would associate with Hawaii, but like they're the surfer bums. They could have been the surfer bums from California too, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like they really... You know, we didn't see them in their element other than the beach. So I don't really understand why this is so important to them. Well, this is the other thing. I thought, similarly, this is where not putting them in Yellowstone makes for a better movie if it's just a straight survival film. When Phil asks Stu what island Wyoming is on, and he goes, no, dude, it's on the mainland. And they look at each other and they scream. Because they they don't want to go to the mainland. They've never been there before. They get off the airplane. They're in their Hawaiian shirts and their flip-flops. Well, before that, they're in wetsuits because well, their dad told them to bring a suit. Well, that's what I was getting to. Sorry. The father says, Kills bring you your suits. And so when they get there and they see how cold it is, they've got their wetsuits on. And I'm thinking to myself, here's another movie that did it better. Cool Runnings. And that was another Disney film. Yes. When you take the fish out of water, you put them in the cold. They don't want to be there. They're not used to it. That scene where Sanka is just like bundling himself to the point where he's wearing his duffel bag is hysterical. Because Cool Runnings is a great movie. So you, like, you take the same sort of concept and the whole thing just falls flat. Sean is really downplaying his love of Cool Runnings at the moment. We haven't discussed it on the show yet. We will soon, I think. But, I mean, to to compare the two of them, it's probably the most natural comparison, right? You're taking somebody from this beautiful tropical climate, they don't want to leave it, to right. go to this frozen tundra for all intents and purposes. Right. But that that's the other thing about it, too. I mean, Yellowstone obviously has a wide landscape. It's mountains and valleys, so you get the hot and the cold. But... It snows at night. Then you got some characters walking around in shorts during the day. Yeah. I mean, I get it. You can have like a wide swing between hot and cold when the sun goes down. But that's also not very clearly established, too. I I feel like it was just the fourth scene where it had to snow on them because they've declared that they're well, they didn't declare it. Uh, the people that they're impersonating are naturalists. And they have to live off the land in in every way, shape, and form. Right. So that premise sort of worked. But similarly, you could have just done that with flowers. Right. 
I actually, I, I think that was, well, the movie had completely lost me before this, where they're traveling with flowers on the way to his camp, I guess, wherever he's going to take them. They get in the accident, the car goes over a cliff, and then it hits a circus truck and the circus animals start walking out onto the highway. And this is where, this is the moment where I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I I see where we were trying to go. I appreciate what you tried to set up here. And then it just completely lost me. Because the elephants, the bears, and the lions are all together in the same compartment. Right. And it it just, it never really pays off. The only, the only place it does, and I kind of, as we're talking through it, am realizing now, the people that the Deedles are impersonating, they've been working to get into this program at Yellowstone and they really want to do it. They want to prove their survival skills. So in this accident, their camp gets destroyed and they a lion chases them up a tree and keeps them there for days. So you do need some kind of element to keep them at bay from exposing the Deedles for what they are. I mean, it's kind of weak sauce to have a lion literally keeping them up a tree. And that's the thing that's detaining them. Mm-hmm. Mel and Mo are the two people that they are impersonating. What I could not figure out was how all of the people at Yellowstone did not realize after the first day that this clearly was not Mel and Mo. Because they are just so detached from reality and they're so detached from what was on Mel and Mo's resumes. Like, I, it makes no sense that they could trick them this long. Right. I mean, they do try to cover their tracks and say, oh, you didn't specify your gender on your resume. Uh, which I believe from Mel and Mo that yeah. they wouldn't. Yes. Um, but it it's not really enough to cover the tracks. Like I appreciate that they tried to address it, but it it just doesn't add up at all whatsoever. Especially just in the way that they they speak. Like you know, I know that that's supposed to be the comedy is that they have this laid back surfer talk. But it's just too extreme where you're never going to buy that they're survivalists. Mm -hmm. One of the few laughs I did get out of this was the food scam. Because knowing that they are naturalists, they don't eat food that doesn't come straight from Mother Earth. So when they arrive at camp, instead of eating fried chicken and corn on the cob like the rest of the rangers, they are given slugs and grubs and earthworms which they are not going to eat because they're not real naturalists. So they get put on guard duty at the front gate and they work out this scam where they're just taking everybody's junk food. That was actually pretty funny. It was funny. When Paul Walker, when he has the women who have the birthday cake and he says, I see, you see birthday cake, I see forest <laughs> fire. Like that was really funny. It was clever. It made sense. And like, that's how they they kind of made a stockpile of this junk food and that's what they were eating to fend for themselves. I thought this was really funny. Where it falls apart is they've done one morning of training. The schedule that Pine put together put them on guard duty. He calls them away from guard duty and says, how's it going with the prairie dogs? Well, and they said, well, we really haven't gotten into it yet. We've had other things to do. And he loses his mind on them. 
You made you put their schedule together. If you put them on rock climbing and you put them on a hike and then you put them on guard duty, how are they working on the prairie dog thing? Right. And that's where Mo and Mel were selected to this program because they were supposed to address this problem. Yeah, they were rodent specialists. Exactly. Um and and here's the thing, like I said, impersonating them works. I think that that's that's funny. It does lend to the fish out of water. And it it gives them a solid reason to be in Yellowstone versus trying to well that's the thing to your point yes this would have been funny if they had to survive on their own and and they were left to fend for themselves here you had to get them to yellowstone some way so like i'll i'll buy into all of that but i feel like this prairie dog subplot is absolutely ridiculous it's absurd especially when you find out the motivation and this is where my head goes to my cousin Vinny because yes, you have the fish out of water element, but the whole reason that Joe Pesci and Melissa Tomei are down south is because of this case. You know, he's he's representing someone in court, and that all ties together because the subplot is connected to why they're there, and it gives it that added layer of mystery. Here, they're trying to do the same thing. I'm not going to say it's a who done it. But for the first half of the movie, we're in the point of view of the Deedles where we know there's the prairie dog problem. We know that there's something more to it other than the prairie dogs being overpopulated and we're trying to figure it out along with them. Then the second half, the villain is revealed to us. And this is where it it shifts. And it, it actually, I think if the audience had stayed in the blind, it might have been a little bit better, but then the villain is revealed to us. The motivation is completely absurd. And when we're trying to still root for the Deedles, they're being foiled by this guy. You know, Dennis Hopper's career towards the end, he would take roles that you just sit there and go, why would you do this? Like the Nicolas Cage <laughs> yeah. mentality almost. Yeah. Um, listen, I understand why he was King Koopa. I mean, that movie, the Super Mario Brothers movie is ridiculous. But you like you, it's still sort of endearing and fun enough, I think, if you grew up on it. Like, you watch it now and go, man, this didn't age well and it's stupid, but I still like it. It's, I'd still even call it a classic. It's, it's like Good Burger. You watch it and you go, God, this is stupid, but I still like it. Um... Nobody says that about me to Deedles, but I don't know what Dennis Hopper was thinking here. Um, oh, Good Burger is actually a good comp for this. But they do it better because their jobs are at stake and they have a reason to care. Right, because they're trying to take down this other business. Right. But the other thing is you have an invested interest in those characters because you've already seen them a dozen times on all that. These were characters that you already loved to begin with, at least right. Ed. So you can kind of forgive that plot. You know, with the, but but the other thing going into Good Burger because you have a frame of reference because you've seen all that you know what you're walking into. You can get away with making that a stupid movie because if they made it a serious film about entrepreneurship, you would go, "What the hell did I just watch? This isn't what I came to see." Different with this. Moving on. Now, Stu has a laptop which is pretty incredible that he had this like Wi-Fi laptop in the middle of nowhere in Yellowstone in 1998 that he had a printer hooked up to and everything else um 
And he's and, now and satellite. Uh, he's got like he's the infrared in. screen. He's yeah. hacked into to, to FBI and CIA satellites. But how? See, this is the yes. other thing. N- not just how it doesn't work as far as the Wi-Fi and, and the technology. Where did you come up with this? Because it's not like, and and this is where they should have developed the characters a little bit more. Because what they have set up is that Phil and Stu are always going to work together. They figured out how to secure food for themselves when they started hijacking all of the snacks. They are actively trying to come up with a solution for the prairie dogs. So you see that these brothers are going to work together to get through this. It might have been more effective if Phil was trying to bring Stu down where he wants to hang out with his brother, but his brother is trying to move on with his life and get into college and follow in the footsteps that their father wants them to. And Phil's just like, no, I want to go surfing with you. Right. And it would have set up more where Stu is studying and knows how to do all of this. Here it comes absolutely out of nowhere. Right. Or even if Stu, you could have planted something, but the problem is it would have, well, it would have been a straight ripoff, but what what doesn't this movie rip off really in premise? Um, In Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Ferris is able to hide the amount of days that he has not shown up because he hacks into the computer system and he changes his file. Something where that happens or something where Stu is hacking into a computer system at the school or he's hacking into the the desktop computer of the principal. Something You had to put something in here to show us that he knows how to do this. The fact that he just knows how to hack into these government computers and government satellites, it, it does not make any sort of sense. Right, because even with Teen Beach, at the end when they create the time machine to get them back or the, you know, the, the surfboard. Right. We know that Brady knows how to do that because he's been studying how to build the boards. You need to give Stu something where he's setting this up where, where he does it for his own personal gain, but he can apply it to this situation. Right. And it never happens. But part of what they do is they find this gastro Castro. Oh my God. Uh, plan that the United States never used on Cuba. Basically, they were going to drop a gas down that was going to cause Fidel Castro to be thrown out of office and lose his power through the embarrassment of flatulence. My question is, how did you cast this scene? How did you even write this this is where i mean sometimes it works like for snl when there's cocaine in the writer's room yeah brilliance comes out i'm not i'm not endorsing drugs here but i'm saying those old skits that's what they used to do and and they made magic here cocaine in the writer's room did not do anything for the story (laughs) it is it makes i don't know who wrote it i don't know how you cast that like i got a role for you you're going to get off a tour bus and you're going to look like you are having diarrhea in your pants. It's going to be your big break because this is a Disney movie. How do you even cast that? But wait, there is another movie that does that and it's hysterical. Dumb and Dumber. Rat Race with the Lucy scene where they come off the bus. That Yeah, Rat Race too. But... I'm saying in in a better film, you can make that absurd idea work. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work here. 
Um, all right, I, we gotta we gotta get moving here uh, because because now you could just sit here and do this all day with this movie. Can I talk about how I am disturbed by the Lady and the Tramp worm eating scene? The whole thing is utterly ridiculous. I mean, I can appreciate the fact that. Is it Lieutenant Jesse? Yeah, Lieutenant Jesse. Yes. First she's Lieutenant Jesse, then she's then she's just Jesse. She's a few things. Yeah. I can appreciate that she stepped up and sort of asked Phil on a date because that's really what the subtext was of I want to learn how to forage. Why don't you take me out to lunch and we'll go for a walk on the woods? Okay, fine. But the whole date is ridiculous. I mean, I get where it tries to be funny that Phil doesn't want to really eat grubs, so he plants the gummy worms. Okay, fine. But that it just doesn't work. The whole thing is just disgusting. Like, even for, like, quote-unquote boy comedy... It, the whole thing is just gross. No, and it's, I mean, they're they're trying to build her character because she calls him out and she's like, did you plant these so that I didn't actually have to do it? And then she grabs a handful of dirt and they start eating the worms. This would have been the moment to win us back and have Phil confess that he's, not necessarily he's not who he says he is, but maybe just even like a, I'm I'm human. I can't eat like this all the time. And then pulls a Twinkie out of his pocket. Yeah. Or he confides in her. Like, give him a moment where he confides in her. He doesn't want to lie anymore and asks her to lie with him. And now you've got conflict with her because now she's got to lie to her stepfather. Exactly. To protect them. Exactly. Like, none of that happens. What does happen, though, is that amazingly... You got a dancing bear in this movie that was better than any of the dancing bears in the Country Bears movie that we <laughs> talked about a few weeks ago. When they have a luau um, and the circus animals come and you have a bear, people think that it's Stu dressed in a bear suit because apparently Yellowstone's mascot is a rapping bear. They think it's him and they are on a dance floor with a legitimate with a, with a real bear and they don't realize it. Well, Stu being the bear doesn't come out of nowhere because he did do that in right. one of the scenes where they're trying to train the kid. It, it's almost like Smokey the Bear. Yeah. They're trying to teach them about forest fires. So I get that. That wasn't unmotivated. What really breaks my heart about this scene is that the band in the luau is former members of Oingo Boingo. Thank God, not Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman has higher standards. <laughs> okay. He would never have appeared in this movie. I hope not. I can see where he would have done it just for like the sheer quirkiness of it, but I I'm glad that he didn't. I actually do like that scene though. Aside from the ridiculous animals crashing the party, it you know, the Deedles have at this point sort of won everybody over and then they're setting themselves up to fall from grace again because they haven't been found out yet. No, They've... they were found out. By this point they were. They gave them the luau because uh Captain Pine fell out of the helicopter and they rescued him. This is the night before their graduation. Right. Because they get they get tossed out a couple of times. Right. And they were exposed, but they came out the heroes because they saved him. And then they're going to fall again. They because... surfed on white water. It was like white water rafting, but they surfed it and rescued him. Exactly. And Jesse flies the helicopter and then he gets on. You know, like you do. 
So you think that they have the win, but what you've forgotten about by this point is the ridiculous prairie dogs. And then they're going to get, well, they're they're set up. By Slater, right. For killing Old Faithful. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that within itself. Just think about what you just said. Because while they're partying, Slater gets onto Stu's computer and prints out the thermal maps and goes, oh, this is great. And originally, they were going to seal off the tunnels with cherry bombs, not anything that would do any harm to the prairie dogs, or the pea dogs, as they keep calling them, which gets annoying. And instead, Slater rigs it all with dynamite to cause mass destruction, shut off Old Faithful, and foil them. That I buy. That kind of makes sense. And I actually do kind of like his motivation that he wants to turn it. I mean, obviously, Old Faithful is a big tourist attraction and it's amazing. It's a natural wonder. But he wants to make new Faithful and reroute Old Faithful into his Disneyland of Yellowstone. That's actually kind of funny. I mean, that's up for debate. I think it's ridiculous. But the fact is he gets foiled. They catch him. And now, somehow, the entire region, the entire area where Old Faithful once stood, it's still there, but it's now flooded with warm water and becomes a surfing destination that the Deedles now own. I don't know how the Deedles can necessarily own this because it's a it's on National Park land. Right. Which is why Slater's plan would have never worked in the first place anyway, because he was trying to do the same thing and set this up on, on you know, national land. Yeah, I don't, I, I think that's up for debate. I don't know if he was actually on the state park property or if he was on his own land. Right, that's never made clear because we know he's redirecting the geyser, but we don't really know to where. To your point, though, I thought, because they do end up saving Old Faithful, I thought the flood was where New Faithful was supposed to be, and that's where they set it up. So maybe it is all out of Yellowstone. I have no idea. I Because you still see the geyser going off. So I honestly, does it really matter? Can we also talk about how utterly ridiculous that scene is that when they confront Slater, they free the pea dogs from underground. They need an out. So they've redirected Old Faithful to go off as it should. And then they get in the piping system that Slater built. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. They're surfers. They ride the wave up old faithful but into the sky this would have been a very effective cutaway i didn't need to see them travel stop motion like through the tubes and come out the top it would have been fine if you know they left us on the cliffhang of we can't possibly do this and then they shut themselves into the piping system and we see them come out on top i really didn't need to see them travel through or if you're gonna do it show it once quickly yeah, we don't need to spend the, the two minutes going through the pipes with them. Yeah. You want to talk about these characters? Because I, I don't have anything else on the plot of this film. No, I think we're being awfully generous calling okay. it a plot. All right, all right, all right. Paul Walker, Phil Deedle. It's amazing to me that Paul Walker's career was able to recover after this. 
And I like Paul Walker a lot. I always did. He's fantastic. I mean, not just in Fast and the Furious, but like he did so many teen comedies and And, he was great in all of them. And I mean, yeah, sometimes, most of the time, he did sort of play the dumb jock archetype. Uh, So here, Surfer is not a far cry from that. And I, I, I feel bad saying it because, I mean, you can't feel bad just because he's since passed. Like, a bad movie's a bad movie's a bad movie. And right. the point is that he couldn't even save it. Yeah. Steve Van Wormer plays his brother, Stu. I mean, the thing is, I can't really attack any of the actors because the movie is just so bad. I, I think they did what they were supposed to do with it. I actually don't hate Steve Van Wormer in this. I, I believe that that guy... He's a, he's a smart person that knows how to hack into computer systems. I don't buy him as a surfer, but I buy him in the role that they eventually sort of put him in. But it made no sense that they put him in that position. I agree. He's almost two different characters in the first and second half of the movie. And I'd be a lot more into it if they had just given him the arc to get there or just sprinkled a little bit of a breadcrumb trail as to how he knows how to do all of this. It it would actually make for a much better character. What I am glad about, though, is to see Steve Van Wormer in a leading role because he was in so many, like Paul Walker, he was in so many of these 90s high school movies as a background character. So it was kind of, well, kind of nice to to give him his due. Is that what I'm trying to say here? But the... Unfortunately for him, this was it. And unfortunately for him, when you look at the caliber of star power, he did not recover the same way that Paul Walker did. No. But, it, it, I mean, they're also two different actors. They were going to get cast in two different uh, kinds of film. But Sure. All right. Uh, A.J. Langer, Duchess Deedle. I say that because she plays Jesse Ryan. She married into royalty. A.J. Langer is a duchess now. Good for her. She is Duchess Deedle. Well, she recovered from this. I would have to imagine that every copy of this film has been burned overseas, (laughs) that the UK streaming service known as Disney Plus, um, it probably does not exist. (laughs) I, I don't think she wants this out there at this point in her life. Which is a shame because to me, she's one of the better parts of a really bad movie. I mean, you know, she's a pretty girl, but she worked in this tomboy role. I think out of everyone, she had the most solid character arc because she's, you know, her stepfather doesn't want her to date. He wants her to remain, you know, his tomboy sidekick. And she wants to break out of that. And she was, you know sort of progressive pursuing Phil. Right. Yeah. I I didn't hate her. No, she was fine. For what the movie is, she was fine. John Ashton plays Captain Douglas Pine. Deedles! That was his whole... That, that's that's the whole script for him. Pretty much. He's manic. I, I actually... His facial expressions, the way he emoted things, I thought was, was good. I thought that just... Just the whites of his eyes were very funny. And I actually, 
I really like him in the scene where he has to stall because all Old Faithful is not going off. We've talked about how the Deedles were underground trying to save the P-Dogs and reroute the geyser, but he's holding a press conference for its... It, it's a billion years or the billionth gush? The billion years. The billionth birthday. That's what it was. Wow. That is very impressive. But yeah, he, he's got a safe face. He's got his boss there. He's got a crowd there. He's got the media there. And he's he has his meltdown. Yeah. it Yeah, he's fine. That, that was like a legitimately funny scene. It was. Dennis Hopper. Why? Robert Englund. Why? Yeah, that's that's astonishing. Oingo boingo. Why? <laughs> just why? I mean, that's it. The, the rest of this cast is is just an ensemble, and they got a couple of lines. But I mean, it's it's nothing worth getting into. I mean, what else do you want? This movie's horrible. And you know what? the The Black Cauldron and the Country Bears. Yep. Country Bears. I'm still on the fence about. If Country Bears is meant to be taken seriously, until I watched this, it was one of the worst films I've ever reviewed for this show. If it was meant as a satire, it's brilliant. This is by far the worst film we've ever reviewed on this show. And it's one of the worst films I've ever seen. We so often talk about The Room. But the thing with The Room is that it's it's so bad it has rewatchability. But Tommy Wiseau did not come from the Walt Disney Company. He didn't have star power. He didn't have the budget. He didn't have everything behind him to make a great film, mostly because he wrote it and it's a piece of garbage. He didn't have a great film to begin with. But he, it's an indie film. That's the thing. It's an indie film that he had the money to make. Who conceptualized this? Who the hell greenlit it? Like, this through and through is just a bad movie. It has no rewatchability. I can't laugh at how bad it is. It's it's actually up there with Batman and Robin. It's It's the same premise... Batman and Robin is probably more egregious because you had such a vast catalog with such well-developed characters and you destroyed it with a with a horrendous movie and that had a huge budget. But to me it's sort of in the same vein. You've got a big studio behind it. You've got big executive behind it. You've got some star power behind it. And this is the best you could do. How did this movie get made? This is in the top th- three worst films I've ever seen. And not just for this show. I agree with you on all counts, and I'm glad that you brought up The Black Cauldron and Country Bears because I was going to say the same thing. Those are two of the the worst reviews we've ever done, or, or two, two of the films that we've panned on this show. And for as much as we've ripped them apart, the thing that we have always been able to do with these bad films is figure out where they tried. And we've at least been able to pinpoint the direction that we, that those films were going in and where they fell apart. And 
most of the time they had redeeming qualities. Even Black Cauldron did, for as much as we really tore that one apart. There there were a few things that you can find interesting and that you can like about it and that you can see really what they were trying to do. And we had even said that that would be a great live action remake to sort of right all those wrongs. Country Bears, I actually found a little bit more redeeming than you did. Like it's, it's bad. There's no two ways about it. But we had reviewed that, I think, as a what the February pick. And I had said, I don't think this deserved a what the February. Because for as bad as it is, there are things that they tried to do and a few that they got right. Here, there's absolutely nothing redeeming about it. I truly hate to come on this podcast and trash a film because I respect the process so much. And we have always said that we will never bash a film for the sake of. And we will always try to find ways that it could have been better or to give it the benefit of the doubt. But in this case, I'm at a total loss. This film is just confused and confusing from beginning to end. And I can't really say anything more other than it was trying to capitalize on other popular movies at the time. It certainly didn't do it better, but it it doesn't even come close. Because of all of the movies that we mentioned that it's patterned after it's by far the worst of all of them right and and not even it's not even close you know what i'm saying it's not like well this is a 1a and a 1b it's like no the rest of them stand out and then there's this right and i'm always down for the teen comedy that it's kind of just a fluff movie you know it's not going to be great it's it's a rom-com even so well I don't want to say American Pie because I hold American Pie in such high regard. But there are a lot of people who find that dumb. Right. So, I mean, I will always appreciate those films for what they are. I will always laugh at them. But, like, this didn't even have, like, a a big laugh to redeem it. Like, for for the films that we've watched where they're really bad, even Country Bears... Christopher Walken smashing the thing with the anvils. Oh, no. Country Bear Hall. (laughs) Oh, no. Exactly. That makes the whole movie worth it. It makes it not rewatchable, but it it makes me at least feel like I haven't completely wasted my time. Right. Fuzzbucket. Even Fuzzbucket had the training broad joke that when we talked about it with Scott, we thought it was like, this is a great insult. It's a funny line wasted in this movie. Exactly. And there's just that one moment where you're like, okay, I- I'm at least glad I watched this. And I-, I can't say that walking away from this one. I enjoyed Oahu. I enjoyed seeing Oahu. The best thing about this movie is that they ripped off the soundtrack from Tony Hawk Pro Skater. <laughs> That's the best part about this movie. Yeah, I I did like the soundtrack. That that was actually pretty good. We want to hear from you guys. Let us know what you have to say about Meet the Deedles. Have you seen it? Are you traumatized? If you haven't, I, I, like honestly, I will come on this show and say, if you haven't seen it, at least give it a what? No, don't even waste your time. But if Are you- we missing something? 
that's what I want to know, too. Like, did you grow up on this movie and did you find it funny? Is it as good as B- Bill and Ted? Like, yeah, just let us know. Are we completely blind to this? Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up as well as a giveaway. But first, a quick break. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip, just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly checked for discounts to make sure we were guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was Perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney trip, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Design. If you are looking for that touch of Disney in your everyday life, it could be home decor, it could be stationary, or it could be pet pandanas. Because Kelly just released those this week, and they look awesome. I know that they are not made specifically for us, but I feel like they are because this is just so perfect. I I could not want anything else. Even more perfect, listeners of Monoreal Radio get a 10% discount when you enter the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Be sure to check out everything that Kelly has at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. Uh, com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. We have another trailer dropping for Luca, the Disney animated film that's going straight to Disney+. Plus. I'm still surprised that it is not getting a theatrical run. Especially with restrictions being lifted, more people going to the movies. We discussed this a few weeks ago. Disney's already thrown a few movies straight to Disney Plus. I'm surprised that they're not giving this a shot. Because it just, it, this to me, I said it then and I'll say it again now. The trailers make the movie look so beautiful. This is not something I want to watch on 42 inches. This is something I want to see in a movie theater. No, and I think it's really insulting to the filmmakers. I mean, I get it. You have the movie in the can and they are trying to incentivize people to subscribe to Disney Plus. Okay, fine. But I can't imagine having worked on this film and being so excited to share it with family and friends in a theatrical run and having people see it. And then Disney's just like, okay, well, it's not good enough for that. We're going to give it away for free. That That's how it looks to me. Yeah. Especially when, and I mean, it's a little bit different coming on the heels of 2020 when they were trying to give people something to watch at home so they gave us onward they gave us soul which by the way cleaned up at the academy awards this past weekend they won best original score uh trent reznor atticus ross and john batiste um trent reznor and atticus ross did the score and then john batiste did the the jazz parts um and then soul also got best animated feature which i mean Come on. Yeah, I mean, th- no offense to the other films, including Onward, but there was really no competition there. It was great. 
yeah. All right, uh, let's talk about some more news here. Self-serve soda machines are coming back to Walt Disney World, and I don't know if I can really articulate how excited that makes me. Um, not that I'm some soda fiend and I just have to like have my endless supply of Coke product, so much as it is that um, it shows that we are getting back to normal. Put your hand on this and then put this in your mouth. If that doesn't scream we're getting back to normal, I don't know what does. So this is very exciting. It's it's a step in the right direction. I'm happy. And of course, the biggest news this week, parks-wise, is that this Friday, it's insane to think this, but for the first time in over a year, the gates at Disneyland are opening. I don't have anything else to say on the matter. Except it's it's time. And I am so excited for the cast members. And I am so excited for the people that live in Anaheim that finally get their park back. Yes, California residents, if you managed to get a reservation, let us know if you're going to the parks this week uh, or, or this month. We definitely want to hear from you. We're very excited for you. For sure. Okay, let's talk about a giveaway here. We have a straw charm from the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. And we have a monoreal radio t-shirt. How do we want to do that this month? I think, you know what, let's do, because we did the review last month. Uh, how about share the episode? We haven't done that in a little while. This episode? Yeah. Yeah. It's, this yeah. review? Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, maybe that's maybe that's not a good idea, but we're going to do it anyway. I mean, it's it's the roulette. It's how the dice fell this week for us. This might, you know what, there might be people out there that go, I wonder what they have to say about Meet the Deedles, because it is such a cult classic niche film. So yeah, share the episode. Share it on your Twitter, share it on your Facebook, make sure you tag Monoreal Radio, or uh, you can do it like on your Instagram story. Just do like the screen grab that you're listening. Make sure you tag us. Make sure you tag us that way that we see it. And and anybody that does that and shares the episode or shares that they're listening will be entered to win that prize pack for Monoreal Radio and the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. You will have until Monday, May 3rd, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. to throw that out there. And then we will choose a winner at random. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. You can always go to the social media at Monorail Radio on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also on TikTok, you can email us monorailradio at gmail.com. And for links to the show and all of the social media, you can do that online at Monorail Radio. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.